So I'm just going to be brief here. I just wanted to share something really uh, simple that the Lord uh, placed in my heart in regards to what we uh, tend to look at when we study the Bible. We look at different um, ways. The Bible is, is this amazing book. It's God's letter. Uh, to humanity and it's his love letter and it's filled with different types of, of writings it's filled with um, you know the Hebrew uh, poetic uh, literature um, we have scripture that that has contains like letters from the Apostle Paul there's prophetic uh, writings there is uh, biblical narrative right and and when we look at, at, at stories in the Bible we tend to read the Bible and look at like biographies right we're looking at like great man of God, Moses, or, or we're looking at David, or we're looking at the life of Paul, or we're just, we're just reflecting in the Gospels throughout the life of Jesus. And, um, and, and, and I wanted to just uh, give you some insight here this morning and focus on uh, the, the geography of Scripture. Did you guys know that uh, geography uh, in Scripture is, it is tied, it is related to spirituality? Um, geography is connected to God's great purpose for humanity. And in fact, I wanted to just emphasize that every geography has a genealogy. Amen? Every geography has a genealogy. And so I want to read in the book of Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at a certain specific place in Israel. A place called Gilgal. I wanted to see this place with you guys. And... Uh, and it's, it's first mentioned here in Joshua chapter uh, 1, where we see them entering the land that God had promised them, right? And so, um, if you guys could read with me the first six verses, and then we'll go from there. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be. Repeat after me. So I will be. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Still there. I invite you to close your eyes now. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is revelation to our hearts. And I just pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you may just bring out life from your word, Lord. That you may generate life in not just this moment, but in our day-to-day -day circumstances and in, in, in the, the homes we're going back to after this conference and to the schools we're going to go back to, the jobs, the careers. Wherever we go, Lord, that we may carry, Lord, this revelation and the life that we're acquiring here, Lord, with us, Lord. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys may be seated. Um, I, 
wanted to see, is it all right if I ask um, them to turn the lights up just a little bit? Because I, it's just kind of hard for, for me to see everybody. I wanted to get to see you guys a little bit better, uh, especially in the morning sessions, you know, when, when it's dark. And, and, and like I said, you know, some of you guys, uh, you're not used to waking up this early, right? Um, my oldest daughter, she, to her, early is like 10 a.m. And, so, um, and so right now, you know, she's, she's probably still sleeping. But um, going back on this subject here, you know, every geography has a genealogy. Every geography in the Bible, it, it, it has a purpose uh, within the narrative of Scripture. Uh, here's a few examples, like uh, Bethel, right? It's the place where God encountered Jacob and changed his name. There's places like Jerusalem, the holy city. Uh, where there's the mount, the temple mount, where many scholars believe is the same place where Abraham presented his son Isaac before the altar to the Lord. We have uh, uh, Capernaum, which is, you know, one of the bases, the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. We have the Sea of Galilee. We have these amazing places that the, the, and these points uh, on, on a map, they, they have a story to them. They have a, a context to them. And in the same way in our own lives, you know, there are places that really mark our lives. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are some places in my own life that have really marked me, that have really uh, impacted me and leave, uh, they have in, in a way a, a close spot in my heart. Uh, one of these places is uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, shout out to you guys from MA. Uh, so, so like, you know, I, when I was young, um, th there's, there's this something special uh, in this location because I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I lived in Massachusetts and, and, and I remember that this was like in this experience when I was just starting off in high school, I was, uh, I, I didn't have many friends and, and, and someone just invited me to participate in a youth camp uh, in a church there, a local church and I remember going and, and at that camp the experience when I saw, you know, just these young people on fire, passionate for the Lord, they were just burning for Jesus, and, and, and that, that really, it caught on, you know, it ignited something in me, and, and, and it stirred me to devote and give my life to Jesus uh, during that summer camp, and, and, and not just that, but soon after, we had a youth conference similar to this one here in Enjoy, where, where I had decided to just step it up and have greater experiences in the Lord, it was where, where I was uh, filled and uh, to the point of overflowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I received the gift of, of tongues and I started to just speak in this prayer language. And it was just the, this momentous uh, occasion in my life. And they were all tied to this, this place. It was a, a place where, where uh, my buddies and myself, we, we decided to start uh, what we would call like the spiritual maturity course. And we started this class, and I remember our, our youth pastor would teach it, and, uh, and, and it, it impacted us to such a point that, that there are friends of mine from that time that today are pastors of prevailing churches in other parts of this country. And, and so the, the geography has a genealogy. Come on, help me, church. Amen? Uh, and there are points, there are places in our lives that, that will have a story to them, not just specifically for us, but in God's story in general. And so what we see here happening to Joshua, as they, they are going to Gilgal, they're not yet there, okay? We haven't arrived. Tell, tell your neighbor, we're not at Gilgal yet. We're not there yet. But by the end of this sermon, we'll be there, okay? But what happens here in this story is a microcosm 
of what God is doing here in our, in our days and in our culture, our generation. And, and I wanted you guys to understand before we, we go on this journey, okay, into this promised land, into this location called Gilgal, I want you to understand, number one, that we must see this great attribute of God, which is that God is omnipresent. Repeat after me, omnipresent. Which means God is everywhere. You see, if he is the creator of heavens and earth, of this universe, if, if he brought into form, it just brought into existence, space, time, and matter, that means he is excluded from space, time, and matter. This world, this three-dimensional world that we live in, he is not subject to this three-dimensional world. He is not subject to time because he created time. So God is in all places, but yet the Bible shows us that he chooses to manifest himself in specific moments, specific places in time. And so just for you to get a better idea of this, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, actually Pastor Tim mentioned this uh, last night, in the Old Testament there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, it was for most of the time, it was placed in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies, it was located uh, as, the, it was known as the manifest presence of God in the midst of God's people. And the ark was, uh, like, upon the ark, there were these two cherubim. And between the wings, there was this place which was referred to as the seat of mercy, or mercy seat. And that was uh, known by the Hebrew people that that was like the location, the throne of God, his manifestation on earth the manifestation of God's presence. But not just that, the Bible also goes on and it says that God does not live in temples built by human hands. And if you study this, you're going to notice that the emphasis was never that physical temple. The emphasis was that God wanted his people to understand that he loved them so much that he wanted to dwell amongst them. He wanted to be with them. And so in the Old Testament, you see something that is revolutionary that we actually, we take for granted today. Because Israel had this message, this divine message, which was the Shema, uh, the, what we find in the book of Deuteronomy, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is none other. And, and Paul goes on and he emphasizes this in Corinthians and he says, you know, we have one God, one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And uh, go, going further into the history of the church, we, we developed the Nicene Creed, which would help us. And today we say, you know, our God is three persons, but one God, one Lord, one Savior, right? We sing the hymns of, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one, right? And we, we kind of take that for granted because we're so used to it. We, we, sometimes we need to refresh, right? Refresh this concept and understanding because this was revolutionary in the times of Moses, in the times of Joshua, in the times of Abraham. You see, in 1500 BC, there was a culture where there was this idea that there were many gods, lowercase gods, and each god, they were restricted to geography. In other words, they had boundaries. They, they were limited to a certain location. This is very important for you to understand so that you can understand greater the Old Testament. 
Because throughout the Old Testament, God is showing His people and He is proving to us His desire to live amongst His people, to be present amongst His people. That God was not limited by locations. And so in different contexts we see, for example, in Mount Carmel, where, where Elijah comes before the 300 prophets of Baal, uh, the geographic location of Mount Carmel was known as the highest place for, for the pagan god Baal. And so what Elijah, in theory, was doing is he was going into their stadium, playing their football game, and he was beating them on their home turf. You guys with me? Why was this? Because God always wanted to prove to his people that if he, they would understand and be aware that he was with them, he was not limited to boundaries and he would move no matter where they went. And so we see then in the story of Moses, right? He goes into the most powerful empire of that time and he goes into Egypt with a word from the Lord. And, and they don't listen. And for, for this brief moment in time, the, the, the Lord, he removes his hand from upon Egypt and allows these plagues to touch them. And it's interesting that these ten plagues, these ten signs, they touch specific areas where their lowercase gods were in control. And so the Nile, which was, was that fountain of life that they believed, it was affected by the plagues. The, the harvest that they had, which was a, a nation known for its wealth and overflow of food and harvest, it was affected. Their livestock, everything, every area, every aspect, even their sun, lowercase god that they worshipped, was defeated because of the darkness that came upon them. And so throughout every moment, every sign, God was proving once again that he was not limited to boundaries, he was not limited to geography. You guys with me? This is very important because this is going to help us understand what's going on now with Joshua as he is on his journey to Gilgal. The Lord is with him. And there's something really special uh, before Joshua crosses the Jordan, which is something that he already had witnessed in the life of Moses. You see, Moses in Exodus 33, uh, all of Israel, they're at the Sinai. And Moses says this prayer that really marks um, our generation and is the prayer that we all carry with us, which he says, God, if your presence does not go with us, we will not leave this place. If your presence does not go with us, we will not leave. And so we see here the revelation of the faith that Moses had in a God who is with us, in a God who is for us. A God who goes before and after us. A God who chooses to manifest his glory and power in our situations. Amen? That's awesome. This is great. Because this has not changed. And what we see is that the last aspect, the last geographical point here in the universe that God had to access was the human heart. And we see in the prophetic scriptures where God says, well, you know what, that, that point, that area that is still not geographically mine, right? I'm going to take that as well. And he says, I will, there will come a time where I will remove that heart of stone and I will what? I will place a heart of flesh. And so with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of Jesus Christ, 
All of history has changed because God now is no longer limited to physical places, but now he can also reside, dwell, and be present in our hearts. And so through the story of Jesus, we see God himself stepping into human history, living a perfect and flawless life, being brutally beaten, tortured, and crucified on the cross. And he dies, and they bury him. But then he resurrects three days later. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we today can not only live, but we can live with his presence. Amen? So this really long introduction, okay, is going to lead me to these really quick three points I want to share with you guys. Because this is the point of reference. We are on our way to Gilgal, and I want you to understand that Gilgal is a specific point right now in our lives. So Joshua here, what we read, he's finally about to enter the promised land. There's the river here, and God gives him uh, some directions. And I want to see this with you guys here, okay? Uh, starting in chapter 3, if you could just jump really quickly, if you have your Bible still open in Joshua. Uh, chapter 3 there is this continuation of how, okay, they learn these three lessons or these three important points that, that we can apply along the way on our way to Gilgal. And just looking at this text, it just makes me remember, you know, um, back a few years ago when I uh, was in seminary, this amazing experience that I had of just uh, being a part of something that was birthing here in South Florida. I mean, Pastor Tim, uh, he graduated six months before me, so he was here, participated at the very initiation, the beginning of the church here in South Florida. And then I came uh, soon after with another crew, another team, and, uh, and Ariel was with us too on our, t on our class. And it was, it was a really amazing experience because we weren't the church that you guys know of today. We were actually just a small group huddled in a, uh, an old chapel and we had dreams. We had uh, prophetic words and visions for this region of South Florida. And I remember that we would go out with the awareness of the presence of God. And we would go to like, like the beach. We would go to um, different neighborhoods. We'd go to the streets. And we would proclaim the gospel. And we would share the love of Jesus. And we would just, just do whatever we could to serve the community, to be there for the community. And we would prophesy, look, we're going to have life groups in these areas. We're going to have, you know, homes that are going to be affected. We're going to have neighborhoods where the children, they're going to meet up. They're going to hear the word of God. They're going to receive the light of the gospel because we understood that God was with us, that God is present in our lives. And wherever the church is, there God is. Wherever the church declares God's presence, the manifest presence is revealed in that place. And so Joshua here, I don't want to get distracted, but let me get back to the word here. So, so Joshua is about to cross the river, and God gives him uh, these instructions here. Uh, chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. Look at what, what the Lord says. This is our first point. <clears throat> at the end of the three days, uh, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. And do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go. So this is important. God is saying, 
follow that ark. And for you shall not have passed the ways before. So this, I want you to understand, is the first point. We need to follow the ark. Tell somebody who's sitting next to you, follow the ark. Follow the ark. You see, God gives Joshua specific instructions. Remember, God's presence is with us. In that time, the ark represented God's presence. Because of Jesus, the ark now resides in us. But we need to be aware that God's presence is in us. It, there's this interesting quote that uh, one of my favorite writers, um, Aidan Wilson Tozer said. He said this, The presence and the manifestation of the presence of God are not the same. There can be one without the other. God, he is here when we might not be aware of it. But God is manifest only when, as we are, aware of his presence. So we need to be aware of the ark within us. You guys with me? You see, many times we have this great privilege. And, and it's, it's connected to what Pastor Tim mentioned, that, that sometimes it just becomes something common. It just comes, becomes something uh, normal, as like usual. Uh, the, the religion of my parents, the religion that my grandmother uh, forced me to go to. And, and, and we forget that, that there's something vital, there's an importance in this presence, and in, in the ark itself, in our midst. And so God said, look, I want you to follow the ark. And there's something really interesting here, which is, he didn't say, I don't, I wa I don't want you to go ahead of the ark. It, he, he actually says, look, give it some space so you can see, you know, which way you should go. In, in other words, God doesn't want you to take shortcuts because he knows all the shortcuts. He knows what works and what's not going to work. So just follow the ark. Tell that person sitting next to you, follow the ark. This is really important because we need to follow God's leading. We don't ask God to follow our leading. And in all this time, Joshua is following a direction. I mean, the nation of Israel, what were they doing? They were following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God was leading them. And now Joshua, this great leader, he's coming before, and before the nation and he has this position of leadership, but he understands that who goes before them and who covers their, them from behind is the Lord who called them. And so God says, look, just be aware. This has to do with our intimate relationship with the Lord. This has to do with your fellowship, with the presence, the ark of God within you. This has to do with, with your daily walk with God. Because let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody is going to walk with God for you. It is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to hear from the Lord. It is your responsibility to seek the food, the nourishment from his word every day. You see, we as a church, we provide something that is marvelous, that, that, that very few churches I know of today offer, which is this structure of accountability, discipleship, investment, mentoring in an individual, in the growth of a person, the, the, the care so that each and every one of us can become faithful and true followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ. Amen? But, but here's the thing. Nobody can do your job for you. It is a, an exclusive position that God gave you. The ark is residing in you. And there are things that God wants to cultivate and reveal to you that are specific. And they will be brought forth. They will be cultivated through prayer, through fasting, through the study of God's word and meditation in God's word. 
One of my favorite movies is Inception. You guys know that movie, right? It's awesome. I had to watch it like 10 times to understand it completely. I still don't understand the ending, too. And they're like, they're, you know, on YouTube, there are guys who talk about it for like almost hours on end, just trying to describe and break it down. But this is an amazing movie, very intelligent, very philosophical. And it talks about how, you know, you can go into people's dreams. You can go into their minds through dreams, right? And, and what they would do is they would go into people's minds and they would steal ideas. They would steal things from people's minds, right? Information, whatever was needed. And the, 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 the plot of the story is that in the film, there's this one situation, right? Where instead of stealing something, they plant an idea, right? They plant an idea in the thoughts, in the subconscious of a certain person. And in the same way, I believe that this is what God does in our lives. You see, we are all called to, as a church, we have this great mission, this calling, this purpose. But God has given a unique and specific purpose to each and every one of us. A prophetic calling to each and every one of us. And it is the inception, it is the, the dream that God has placed within you. But let me tell you something. It needs to be discovered. It needs to be cultivated. We need to be willing to follow the ark of God. And so there are certain aspects in the narrative of your life that God has planned to only reveal to you through prayer and through the seeking of his word. That is the concept of following the ark. Uh, I remember a very decisive moment in my life and, and uh, in my ministry, in my calling. My wife and I, we already had our first daughter and we were, uh, we were very, uh, we, we were involved in the church, but yet at the same time, you know, we, we, we were just focused on the material things. We had emphasized a lot in regards to my own business and my wife was seeking this career that she wasn't too sure of but she was you know uh just you know following that and we we had a pretty average normal american life and i remember that there was just something burning within me that that, that went back to the days when i lived in massachusetts when i went to that youth camp when i received that first prophetic word in my life there was something there that that was like this inception the the the, the idea the vision that God had placed in my heart, that, that was just burning very strongly. And yet, yet I didn't know how exactly that would, would take form. It would become concrete in my life. And so I remember that my wife and I, we decided to sit down. We were like, let's just, let's just pray about this. Let's, let's fast. Let's seek the Lord. Let's see what God has for our future. Uh, we, we, we arrived in this moment where we said, let's just follow the ark. And so we started praying, we started fasting about this, and soon, you know, we participated. I had an invitation from a buddy of mine who was going to preach in another church, had nothing to do with our church, um, and, uh, and I went to visit just because he was there. And I remember the word specifically for me. And I remember after that, someone came up to me and gave me a prophetic word. And it was precisely what we were praying about, what we were seeking. It was like... God was showing me as I was seeking the way to go. You guys with me? And soon after that, we stepped into this crazy life of faith where God has ever since provided every step of the way. And I want you to understand that there are going to be stories, there are narratives, there are amazing experiences to be had here in your lives as you're starting off this, this, this amazing journey, this amazing narrative that God is going to write through your life. 
And it has to be followed. It has to be structured. It has to be developed by noticing and being aware of the presence. The second thing I want to leave here with you guys, the second order that God gave them is in verse 5 here in chapter 3. It says this, look. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will what? Do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Tell that person sitting next to you, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. You see, the problem is that we want God to do wonders for us, but it's, it's in our own way. So in other words, many times I want to do amazing things for God. Many times I'm the one who wants to do the wonders and instead of having God do it. But it's actually the other way around. That's not our job. Our job is to consecrate ourselves, to obey his word, and he will do the wonders. Amen? This is very important for us to understand because this, is, uh, this has to do with our experiences today. Uh, the word consecrate, I understand we don't use it very often today. Um, and you might be thinking, Pastor Gus, what does it mean specifically? Well, let me tell you a few things that consecrate does not mean. Consecration does not mean going to church. It does not mean having daily devotionals. It does not mean fasting. It does not mean following the Ten Commandments. It does not mean tithing or going on mission trips or serving your life group. Don't get me wrong. These are all good things, all right? These are all good things. We should do all these things. But this is not consecration. You see, consecration is not a habit thing. Consecration is a heart thing. Consecration is not things that, that you are doing. It's not behavior modification. Rather, it's a heart that is fully surrendered to Christ. Consecration is a decision in your heart to take yourself off of your own throne and allow Jesus to take that position over your life. Consecration is to give Jesus Christ, through his word, all access in your lives. Amen? I love the text in, um, <clears throat> in Philippians where the Apostle Paul, he says that Scripture needs to affect all areas. He says, let the Word be at home in your hearts. And if you're from South Florida, you know, because I, ex I explain this in detail, but this expression, let the Word be at home in your hearts, it does not mean, okay, um, well, here's a good example. Let me give it to you so you can understand this better. How many of you guys have a sister. Anyone here have sisters, older sisters, younger sisters? Okay. All right. Now you know what I'm saying when, when I mention, you know, like when your sister is dating, right? She's dating and she brings her boyfriend home or her, her courtship. All right. We believe in holy dating. All right. And so, so when she, she brings him home and you get to meet him, right? And what, how do you treat him? Does he feel at home? Not really, right? You're like, hey, uh, you're going to sit, all right, she, this is her sofa, you sit right there. That's grandma's old chair, it's like falling apart. This is your place right here, okay? You do not let him go near your kitchen. You don't let him eat your food, right? Your, 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 uh, your reserve of, of salami, right, and ham and cheese where you do your snacks, right? You don't let him, exactly, you don't let him touch your PlayStation, right, or your Xbox. Like, he has no rights whatsoever, okay? Because he is not at home. And don't feel that way. Don't even go near, like, my sister is not yours. All right? So don't, just respect it. But, but there's another thing. There's another thing here. 
is that when they get married, when they get married, then he is part of the family, right? And what happens is then he has all access to your home. And now he is your brother-in-law. And now he can sit on any sofa he wants. Now he can get the controller, he can watch the football game, or if he wants to watch soccer, he can play video games. He is at home because your sister's home is now his home. And he can open the fridge, he can drink your Coke, your, your Mountain Dew, right? Um, he, can, he can go and he can even use your bathroom and he can stink up your bathroom if he wants, all right? And then you're gonna have to go in later, man, why did God give me such a stinky brother-in-law? Like you're like just, you know, with the potpourri smell everywhere. But he has now, you see the difference? He now has all access in your heart. You guys with me? And so, so Paul was saying, look, let, consecrate your hearts. Let the word of Christ have all access in your life. This is consecration. It is allowing God to deal with every aspect of your life, every area of your life. Remember I said that in that time, they had different gods for different things. Now God is saying, no, I want you to consecrate yourself because I want all access in every area. I want to be a part of your, the, the nourishment, your pleasures that Pastor Tim shared. I want to be a part of your sexual life. I want to be a part of your food that you eat. I want to be a part of your education. I want to be a part of your home life. I want to be a part of your relationships. I want to be a part of your dreams. I want to be a part of every detail of your life. Consecrate yourselves. And God is telling them to get ready because he has something amazing. And he says, what? I will do wonders. Isn't that awesome? If we devote our hearts fully to the Lord, then we will see the wonders that he will bring out through Christ. Amen? The third thing for us to finish up, the third thing that he says is in verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So here's the third thing. You ready? It's step into the waters. Step into the water. Step into the river. God is giving him a command. And it sounds like a strange command, right? Like, like he, remember, this is Joshua here. He, he walked with Moses. He was Moses' like closest disciple. And so he knew that God, so far in his experience, he knew that God opened the waters before they walked. But now he's being told to go into the waters and then God will open the waters. You guys with me? But this is the thing, right? Uh, it, it goes back to this concept that, that what God had declared, his promises over Moses were the same promises that would pass on to Joshua. And so God says, you know, I will be with you. And wherever you plant your feet, it shall be your land. And sometimes as a church, we declare that as well, right? We declare, we take hold of that promise. And people are like, but Pastor Gus, that promise, it, it, it was for Joshua. It's not for us in our days. You know, you can't just claim all of South Florida for the Lord. You know, uh, this, is, this isn't scriptural. And, and then, you know what my reply is? Well, guess what? It wasn't for Joshua. It wasn't. It was for Moses. If you go back to Joshua chapter 1, you will see that God said, look, I will be with you 
just like I had promised Moses. So you see the promise, it goes on, it passes on from one generation to the next. And the Bible says that in Christ, in the book of Galatians, in Christ we are grafted into Israel. And so all of the promises of God are yes and amen to us today. Amen. And so here's what I want you to understand. If God says, go, I will part the waters, he said it to Joshua, he says it to us today. If God tells us to go, we need to go. You see, that is the essence of faith. Faith is obeying, taking the first step, knowing that God will show us the second. It's leaving that land of your, your heritage, your parents, and going and writing a new history somewhere else, where God calls Abraham out. He says, Lord, where am I going? He says, I will show you. Just come on. Just fo follow me. Follow the ark. Follow my presence. I will show you where to go. And so it's this step of faith that, that God is initiating in, in Joshua's life. And I can only imagine in this moment, you know, where, where, where Joshua has the entire nation behind him. And he's looking at this river and he's like, okay, guys, calm down, everybody. I got this, all right? God's got this. And then uh, let, let's just go. I imagine him just taking that first step, getting his feet wet. I wonder what was rushing through his mind, the doubts, maybe the, the worries, the concerns. Like, what if this doesn't happen? What if, what if it doesn't part? You see, he had, it, it, was, it was a promise, and God was going to be with him like he was with Moses, but it's yet distinct. You guys with me? Uh, so the promise and the experiences that we're going to go through in our lives might be similar to the generation that came before us, but yet it's going to be distinctive to our generation. The, the platform that these great pastors, these great leaders, this great inheritance that was left for us, it was one form. The new platform of the word, of the message, is different today. And what one great preacher maybe reached hundreds of thousands of people, you know, the generation behind us, what our generation is going to experience is billions of people through social media. You guys with me? So God is going to be with us, but yet he's going to be distinctively manifesting himself in us. And it is the step of faith that requires the expression of God's wonders. It is the step of faith where we see God revealing his love and his care for us. And once they cross the Jordan, I want to just jump with you guys here. Joshua chapter 5, they finally cross the Jordan and they reach the place called Gilgal. Alright? Tell that person sitting next to you, we finally got there. We got it. We reached Gilgal. We reached Gilgal. But here's something interesting that happens, okay? Uh, as they were crossing the Jordan, as God had parted the waters after they stepped into the waters, the Bible says that they did something interesting. They took 12 large stones from within the Jordan and they crossed with these large stones, okay? They took these 12 large stones and they crossed and they brought these stones to the area of Gilgal. And now look at what it says here, Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. It goes on and it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. This is the finishing moment, the, the, the climax of this journey. You see, it took one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And this is beautiful because this moment here in Gilgal, when they arrive, officially, finally, the past is in the past. The old wounds are healed. The, Gilgal is the place where they finally experience freedom from shame. Gilgal is the place where they experience freedom from slavery, from their past lives under that oppressive rule and regime. Gilgal is this amazing place where the nation of Israel, they finally celebrate their very first Passover in the Promised Land. Gilgal is the place where they stop eating the manna from the wilderness and they start eating the fruits of the Promised Land. You guys with me? Gilgal is the first step. It's the entry point to this amazing promise that God had given many generations back to Abraham. And now they are finally in this moment. They are finally in this experience. And Gilgal is the moment when Joshua has this encounter with, with the angel of the armies of the Lord, where he says, look, Joshua, take your sandals off because this land is holy. This is a holy and sacred place because it is the land of the promise. And Gilgal is also the location where they get those 12 stones and they build an altar for God. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Gus, like, what is that altar for, right? Well, I want to answer that question by just jumping here to the chapter before, chapter 4. Look at this, okay? Joshua chapter 4, verse 6. This is the reason why they took those 12 stones from within the river. It says this, that this may be a sign among you to come. What do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The, the altar was to become a memorial. The altar was to become a memorial. To end, I want to, I just want to invite the worship team, come on up, guys. But to end, I want to, remember I said that I'm not looking at the life of Joshua. I'm looking at the location, right? I'm looking at Gilgal. So, so what's up with this geographical location? Like, what happens afterwards? Well, if you jump to the next book, Judges, there's a time in the history of Israel where there's no king. But there are judges to rule over Israel. And there's this young man, his name is Ehud. And, 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 and he's a man who God in, put in inception of, of this dream, of this purpose. But, but it wasn't just, it, it wasn't awakened yet, right? It wasn't, it wasn't brought forth. It wasn't very clear. Um, but there's this text, and it's actually today, it's very politically incorrect, okay? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't resound very well if, if we, you know, tell somebody, uh, you know, at work, this story of the Bible, they're going to be like, wow, you know, that's kind of offensive. Like, uh, you know, because Ehud, okay, if you jump forward, 
from the time they enter Gilgal and they establish the altar, 97 years later, okay, this young guy, Ehud, he goes and he, the Bible says that he was left-handed. How many left-handers we have here? Amen, amen. The Bible says that he was left-handed and he takes this dagger, this kind of sword slash dagger, and he places it in the stomach of this corrupt king who, was, who had oppressed Israel. And, 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 and what's interesting is this, this kind of like repulsive story where, where the, the king, he was such a, a big guy. Well, he, he was fat, all right? He was really fat. And, and when he put that dagger in his stomach, uh, the Bible says that, that the, 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 the blubber, like the fat was just, it, it came over the dagger and he like, it got stuck in there. Like he couldn't get it out. And so, and it's very descriptive and it speaks of like, like his intestines and his guts coming out and everything. It's just kind of like this kind of, you know, really crazy, you know, brave heart experience. And, 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 and so, and the, and the king dies there. And what's interesting is that it's just Ehud and the king, right? That corrupt king. And, uh, and so Ehud, he locks the door. He locks the chamber door and he places him in the bathroom so that the servants and the soldiers, they're like in the back, they're outside. They're thinking, oh yeah, the king's in the bathroom. And Ehud, he escapes outside through the patio and he goes through the sewers and he escapes. He goes and he defeats this king. But what's interesting is that this whole experience, right? If we're not aware of what's going on, we would miss out on what God wants to show us in this story. Because this king was defeated and Israel once again experienced 80 years of peace after they defeat this king. But how did we get here? Right? How, did, how did we get to this point, this scene, this gruesome scene where, where he places the dagger in the king's stomach? Well, what came before that is this. Ehud was selected to pay tribute to this king. The Bible says that Israel had forgotten, that, that Israel had let God's presence become common in their midst. And so this king took control over them, oppressed them. And so Ehud, he was selected to give this king a, like a tax, a tribute. And so he gives the king this tribute. And the Bible begins to explain how he was on his way home. He was discouraged because this was the promised land. But yet somebody was ruling over them. Somebody was, was controlling them and oppressing them when God had promised them the land. And he's, I could imagine Ehud, he's walking home and... And he's got like his tail between his legs and he's just really discouraged. Like, like what's going on, God? Like what, what, you know, feeling totally defeated. And then if you look here in Judges chapter 3, you're going to see something that I believe is the turning point. You guys ready? Judges chapter 3 verse 19. Look at what it says. This is really interesting. He sent away the people who carried. So he went, he's on his way. And then it says that Ehud, he himself turned back when he was at the monuments, or the other versions say the idols, near Gilgal. I want you to think about this. He was under oppressive regime. The land of Israel, they, the people of Israel, they were discouraged, they were oppressed, they had no hope. And Ehud, he was on his way home, and he passes by the altar in Gilgal. He passes by this area that Joshua had consecrated. 
and had left a memorial for the Lord. Remember, God said, when your children ask, you tell them what I did for you in this place. So I could imagine him walking and he just stumbles upon the altar and he looks at the altar and he sees, wait a second, God was with my people back then. He had promised this land to us. He showed signs, wonders, and miracles and brought us here. You know what? He is still with us today. I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, yes. I want you to know, and I would like to suggest, that Joshua built that altar for Ehud. Because Joshua somehow knew that there would be a moment in the future when somebody would have to look upon that altar and see the memorial and see that God was with his people back then and he will be with them now. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what lowercase gods are confronting you, no matter what army is oppressing you or coming against you, the Lord, the creator of heavens and earth who brought us here will be with us. And if we are aware, if we are aware of his presence in us, if we are aware that God is for us, then we can truly step into this amazing calling, this amazing purpose, and this amazing future that God has for us. Let me tell you something. Israel experienced 80 years of peace. 80 years of peace. I want to ask you this morning, as you came here, what kind of altars are you placing are you building before God what are you building in your life that will be here 97 years from now what kind of work are we establishing what are you doing with your life what are you investing your time your focus your passions in will we build something that's going to leave a legacy that will impact generations afterwards Will we be able to touch through this experience and leave a message of the wonders, the signs, the amazing things that the Lord has done here in this place? I want you to know, wherever you're from, I want you to know this is your Gilgal today. Amen? I want to invite you to stand up right now.